Today I'm going to begin a brand new series talking about humility being the path to receiving more grace. Now that may not uh, strike a chord with you at the moment, but I'm going to be sharing some things with you about humility against pride that I think could really transform your life. You know, um, humility is not a, um, I don't know, a popular thing in our society today. And I think it's very important that we recognize that God's kingdom operates on a different system than what this world system operates on. And I think it's, in, uh, you know, dependent upon leaders in the body of Christ to say these things and to counter this culture. Otherwise, people just growing up in this culture and being, uh, you know, bombarded day and night with the internet and then television and movies and magazines and all of these kind of things, if the body of Christ isn't standing up and speaking on these issues, well then people just by default are going to be influenced by this. And I think that this has happened and I really believe that our society today operates in a lot of selfishness, a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, promoting their own selves and doing things like this was completely contrary to what the Word of God teaches. So I'm going to be sharing some things on this that I want to really encourage you. I know that humility probably is not one of the things that most people are praying for and desiring. It's not even a goal with even most Christians, but it should be. And I'm going to show you what the Word of God has to say about humility and against pride. And it's overwhelming evidence. I didn't take all of the scriptures. I've got, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 pages here of scriptures, and that's not all of them. This is something that is really close to God's heart. Let's start over here in James chapter 4. And in James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. This is a New Testament scripture. This is for us today. And this is talking about that the love of the world, the friendship of the world makes you an enemy of God. Boy, those are strong statements. That's a whole nother teaching. I'm not going to go there, but our real home is in heaven. You shouldn't be completely at home here on this earth. Now that is not to say that you go around living a defeated life and you're sad all of the time. Man, I love God. I praise God for the creation. I have a great time. I mean, it says, He that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. In the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I live a very fulfilled, happy life. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. But I'm blessed because of my personal relationship with God and my my dependence upon Him and not because of what's going on in this world. I guarantee you, if just like this says, if you are a friend of the world, it makes you an enemy of God. Strong statement. Verse 5, it says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Let me read this to you out of the Amplified. Here's James chapter 4 and verse 5. It says, Or do you suppose that the Scripture is speaking to no purpose that says the spirit capital S, whom He has caused to dwell in us, yearns over us, and He yearns for the Spirit to be welcome with a jealous love. 
See, this isn't talking about our spirit lusting to envy. This is talking about the Holy Spirit lust to envy. And another thing that throws it off is because the word lust is nearly always used uh, in our day and age to describe some illicit, uh, ungodly sexual passion. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says there that the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. The word lust just means a strong, passionate desire. And it doesn't have to be sinful and it doesn't have to be immoral. The Holy Spirit within us is a jealous God. Matter of fact, this verse says, do you think that the scripture saith in vain? It's quoting an Old Testament scripture. Go to the Old Testament and find some scripture that says our spirit within us lusts to envy. You can't find it. I've searched, I've done everything, and I can't find it. And if you look in a reference Bible, what it will reference is talking about our God is a jealous God, and that's the scripture that this is referencing. So this isn't talking about your spirit lusting to envy. This is talking about that the Holy Spirit within us is a jealous God. He wants us for Himself. He wants us to be totally committed and just, I mean, controlled and dominated by God. He's a jealous God. And that fits perfectly with the context. The previous verse was talking about we're like adulterers and adulteresses when we just get into the things of this world and when you can enjoy all of the murder and the rape and the killing and the ungodliness and all of the stuff that is being glorified and presented in our day and age, it's like committing adultery on God. But in verse 6 he says, but he giveth more grace. Even though God doesn't like this either and he doesn't like the way that we uh, embrace and accept all of the ungodliness that is being crammed down our throat today, even though that's so, God is still gracious and He gives more grace. Over in Romans chapter 5, it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds greater. And the grace of God is greater than all of our sins and all of our shortcomings, and God is gracious. But notice here in verse 6, it says, He giveth more grace. If God can give more grace, then that means you can have less grace. You know, I hadn't got time to go into this, but the word grace is used to describe a number of things in the Bible. It's not only talking about God's ability and His favor to us on an undeserved, unearned basis. That's basically what grace is talking about. But over in Romans chapter 12, it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and whether you prophesy or whether you have a gift of administration, do it according to the proportion of faith that is given unto you. And so you can have, those things are called grace gifts. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that unto everyone is given the manifestation of the Spirit and you do it according to the grace that is given to you. So the word grace is not only describing God's favor towards us and His ability, but it's also describing these spiritual gifts. And so this right here is saying that you can get more grace. There is a saving grace. There is a grace that is come unto everyone. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Every person on this planet has had saving grace come towards them that has provided a payment for their sins and is offering them salvation as a free gift. Every person on this planet has had that grace but you can get more grace. And it goes on to say how you do it. 
it says in verse 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Did you know that the more you humble yourself, the more grace will be given unto you. And again, grace, I could just spend days describing all of this. I teach on this a lot. But grace can be talking about uh, favor. Grace can be talking about anointing. Grace can be talking about anything good that comes from God. You can receive more of a manifestation of God's power, His favor, and all of these things operating in your life. Now, I believe that for the born-again believer in our spirit, we have the fullness of Christ dwelling in us bodily. But as far as getting it out and working through our soul and manifesting itself in our body, you can have more of God manifest. You can have more anointing operating in your life, more wisdom, more favor with other people, more uh, of all of these things. And so this says that He gives more grace to the humble. So if this be true, which it is, then that means that a lack of humility is limiting God's grace towards you. And I know that there's people, you may be praying for a marriage, you may be praying for advancement in a business or, or your employment with somebody else, or you might be praying that the uh, power of God would manifest and the anointing would flow more so that God could use you to touch people, neighbors, workers, all kinds of things. You could be praying for things that are good things and you're desiring the right thing. But this verse says, God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. This favor, this manifestation of God's goodness that many people are looking for isn't going to come as long as you are operating in pride. You have to humble yourself to have this more grace operate through you. That is a huge statement that I just made right there. And again, because our society has basically forsaken humility and has put a premium on pride and arrogance and boasting and all of these things. Many of us by default are following this different pattern, this pride that God says He hates and that God resists, and yet we're wanting to get to a godly end. We're wanting to receive the godly results that we're praying for, but we're trying to get there through a devilish means. And I'm telling you that that's one of the reasons that many of you are frustrated and that you aren't seeing things come to pass because God resists the proud. It's not that God hates you. He's not against you personally, but God Himself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, where Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. God Himself is a meek, lowly God. That nearly doesn't even seem to go in the same sentence together. When you think of God, you think of almighty, powerful, and He can do anything, and all of those things are true, and yet He, he is not promoting Himself. He has humbled Himself. He sent His Son to die for us, and His Son said that He was meek and lowly. How can two walk together except they be agreed? It's not that God is personally against us, but He sees pride 
as evil. It's what started all transgression. Adam and Eve would not have sinned if they hadn't got into pride and they rejected God's wisdom, exalted their own wisdom. They thought only about themselves. They thought, I'm going to be more like God. I'm not going to follow God. And it was all pride. It was all leaning under their own understanding. And that's what caused the original sin. And any sin that you commit has to have a measure of pride in it. You know, the scripture says, do this. And yet we say, oh no, I'm going to do this. You know what that is? That's pride. You exalting yourself. You are more impressed with your wisdom. You think you know better than God. That's pride. So I've got a lot of things I'm going to be saying on this. This is just the introduction. But God resists the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Did you know the word resist right here? It's also used down in verse 7 where it says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the word resist here means to actively fight against. In other words, if a person says, Oh dear Satan, please leave me alone. <laughs> That's not resisting the devil. You got to get angry. You got to fight against the devil. You got to resist, push back. And this is what that word is talking about. We can see that clearly when it comes to the devil. It's not talking about a passive thing. It's an active fighting and resisting. And likewise, in the same context, in the very next verse, or in the previous verse, it says, God resist the proud. Now, this is a big statement. Man, you do not want God resisting you. You're praying for things that you know they're godly things and that God wants these things in your life. And yet it seems like you're frustrated and that you can't obtain these goals. Why is it? It may be that God is resisting you because of your pride. Again, this is not personal. It's just like, you know, God created laws like the law of gravity. It functions and God created it for our own good. Right now, I'm using gravity to sit in this chair. I'm not strapped here. Gravity is holding me here. When you drive on in a car, gravity holds you on the road. You don't have to worry about floating off into the space because we've got gravity. Gravity is a godly law. He created it for our own benefit, and we use it to our benefit. It helps us. But if you go against the laws of gravity, that same law of gravity that was created by God to benefit you and to help you can hurt you. It can kill you. A person can walk off of a tall building and the law of gravity that God created for our benefit can also kill you. Well, likewise, God, it's, it's not personal when a person falls off a building that God says, all right, I'm going to kill you because you violated my law. It's not personal, but it is his law that actually caused that person to die because they went against it. Likewise, God is not against us. He loves us. He wants to bless us, but he created his kingdom. Everything in his kingdom operates on this premise of humility. And when you get into pride, you are fighting against the kingdom of God. You are going against the flow. And everything in God and everything in his kingdom is against this pride. And I'm going to describe this more later in this teaching, but pride isn't only arrogance thinking you're better than everybody else. Pride can be defined in many different ways. I'm going to get into more of this, but pride can just be you leaning to your own understanding and thinking that you know more than God. God says that, uh, you know, I'm just picking one thing here, but 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What fellowship hath Christ with Belial, or righteousness with unrighteousness, light with dark? Come out from among them, and be ye separate. And that's what God's Word says. And so anyway, you should be marrying. This is just one application. It applies in business. It applies in all kinds of things. But you should be marrying people that you are in agreement with, that you share. It, it ought to be that your personal relationship with God is the most important thing in your life. That ought to be the most important thing. And you should not be marrying a person that doesn't share those core beliefs. But people violate this instruction all of the time. So God says, do it this way. And you say, oh no, I like this person better. This one over here, they are a wonderful, godly person. They would be the perfect match spiritually. But this one is, is awesome looking and this one's plain looking. And so we exalt our own wisdom. We go our own way. We lean into our own understanding. Most people wouldn't see that as pride, but you know what that is? That's pride. You're operating independent of God. You're exalting your own opinion. You think you know more than God. You violate this, and so you marry a person, and then, boy, there's all this contention and strife because the things that you value, your love and commitment to God isn't shared by that other person, and you're, you're praying for a godly marriage, and you just can't understand why things aren't working out. And God resists you. It's not personal, but it's just that you did everything against the kingdom of God. It's like this law of gravity. It works constantly and it, you can fall and hurt yourself and things. And don't blame God. He created those laws for our own benefit, but we have to learn what they are and we have to learn how to cooperate with them. Man, those are awesome statements. This is what this is talking about. God resists the proud, but He gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then in verse 8 it says, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. How do you draw nigh to God? What's this talking about? You put this together with Psalms 138. Let me turn over here and read this. Psalms 138. And in verse 6, it says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. This says that if there is pride in you, it, it causes God to know you afar off. In a sense, he kind of pushes you away. Now, this is somewhat hard to understand because, man, I believe in the grace of God and God doesn't give us what we deserve and God, you know, is merciful to us and I believe all of those things. But at the same time, He knows the proud afar off. God is meek and lowly in heart, Matthew eleven twenty nine. And when you are operating in pride, God just hates pride. I'm going to share some scriptures with you that shows you that God hates pride. He doesn't just dislike it. It's not just an annoyance to him. He hates pride. And if you are in pride, he's going to know you afar off. You aren't going to have the intimacy, the closeness with the Lord that you desire if you're operating in pride. And so how do you draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you? Well, you humble yourself. And again, this is the whole context of everything he's saying. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. 
Boy, this is an important piece of information right here. It says, you humble yourself. You know, there was actually a time when I was first understanding these things that I said, oh God, you just make me humble. God doesn't make you humble. Humility has to be a voluntary thing. If it's done to you, it's not humility, it's humiliation. And this is why, you know, you see some people that their sin is exposed. Like I could think of preachers that have had their sexual sins exposed, they're stealing money from the ministry or whatever, and they get humiliated and they're broken and they're crying, and I'm so sorry. But is it true humility? If it's done to you, it's humiliation. And many times people confuse this and think, well, they've really repented, they're broken. They're broken because they've been humiliated. But humility is something voluntary that you do yourself. It cannot be forced on you. God can't make you humble. God can humiliate you, but He cannot make you humble. Humility is something you have to choose. You have to embrace it. Man, that's a powerful statement right there. And so this says, you humble yourselves uh, in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Let me read this to you out of 1 Peter chapter 5. This is the exact same thing, but this is written by Peter instead of James. James is one who, James was the half-brother of our Lord Jesus and he wrote the book of James. Here's the apostle Peter and listen to what he says. It's basically the exact same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 5 it says, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Both James chapter 4 and also in 1 Peter chapter 5, this is actually quoting an Old Testament scripture, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34. And in that passage it says, God scorns the scorner, but He gives grace to the humble. So the word scorn in the Old Testament in these New Testament deals is talking about He resists the proud. So you can take the word scorn and talking about all of this and that's talking about proud, pride and exalting yourself and condemning and looking down at other people. And so this is a commentary on itself. So it says, the same thing basically that James was saying, that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. In verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. That's nearly verbatim, word for word, the same thing that was said in James. And then in uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Casting all of your care upon Him because He careth for you. Did you know that this is still describing humility? How do you humble yourself? Well, you cast all of your care upon Him. So here's another way of looking at humility. It says casting all of your care upon Him. Are you taking care for things? Do you feel like all of the burden and the weight of getting everything done is on your shoulders? Or have you cast your care over on the Lord? Are you staying awake at night because you just feel you've got to do something and you're worrying and you're, you're bothered and you're stressed out over things? If you are, I'm saying this in love, but you aren't humble. You haven't cast your care over on the Lord. You haven't given your problems to the Lord. You are still trying to fix these problems. You still have everything in your hand by yourself. 
And you know, I've learned this, that if I have my little problem in my hands like this, God isn't going to take it away from me. I have to first of all put it down and say, God, it's yours before God deals with it. As long as I've got my thing in my hand, God isn't going to deal with it. You know, I was trying to teach my youngest son when he was three years old to talk. He wasn't talking very well at three years old. And so anyway, we were coming out of a restroom one time and he grabbed the doorknob and he tried to open it, but it was a really strong uh, spring type thing on that and he couldn't open it. And then he put his foot up on the door and of course that was counterproductive. And he wanted me to open the door, but I couldn't do it because he had his hands around the knob and it would, I'd have had to squeeze that and turn and it would have hurt his hands. And I just told him, I said, Peter, until you let go, I can't open the door. And as soon as I said that, that's what the Lord spoke to me. He says, Andrew, it's the same with you. Until you let go of the problem, I can't get to it without hurting you. And you can tell, are you really humble about something? Have you cast your care about it over on the Lord? And if you're stressed out, and if you can't sleep at night, and if you're just constantly worried, no, God, what am I going to do? You haven't humbled yourself. You may not have looked at it that way, but you are thinking that you've got to resolve this situation. You've got to solve all of the problems. And yet it's God. You should be doing only what God tells you to do. And if God has told you to do it, well, then the responsibility is His. Now, you do have a responsibility to listen to Him. Your response is to respond to His ability. It is not your responsibility. It's your response to His ability. And you just do what He tells you to do. And you leave the results up to Him. And you don't worry about it. And if you aren't doing that, you may not have looked at it this way, but that's pride. Let me turn over to 1 John chapter 2, and in verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Did you know that the pride of life, I think that I could probably spend a whole program just trying to define what that is. But when we are just into ourselves, into our own kingdom, there's just a lot of ways that we could describe this. But when we are just focused on ourselves and we forget the bigger picture, we forget God, we forget others, and we are just living our life to the max. It says the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Let me share this with you, and this is going to shock some of you. But did you know that all pride originates with the devil? Satan is the author of it. Over in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, it says, For thou hast said in thine heart, and if you were to read the verse in front, matter of fact, let me just turn over and read this to you and help put it in its context. This is Isaiah chapter 14. And in verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? 
So see, if you put this in its context, this is talking about Lucifer. This is talking about Satan and his transgression against God. And in verse 13, it says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And it goes on and talks about his destruction. But you know what Satan's sin was? It wasn't that he hated God and that he hated everything about God and his virtue and all of these things. He envied God. It was jealousy and he wanted to be God himself. Over in Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about him being the anointed cherub that covered and he was covered with all of these precious stones. And it says the tabrets and the pipes in him were, were there the day that he was created. It's a little awkward the way it states that in Ezekiel 28, but it, most of the scholars believe that Satan literally had like musical instruments in his body. He was a musical instrument. He could, he could make sounds and do things. And he was the anointed cherub, and he was like the worship leader in heaven, leading people towards praise and worship with God. And he didn't want to give all of that to God. He wanted it for himself. You know what that is? That's pride. It's jealousy. It's envy. It says in James chapter 3, verse 16, where envy and strife, where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. That's because this is Satan's original sin. He wanted to be like God. He wanted the glory that went to God. You know what that is? That's pride. Instead of submitting himself and instead of giving glory to God, he wanted all of that glory for himself. Satan is a total egomaniac. He is absolutely just, I mean, he wants everybody to worship him. You know, this isn't a life or death, heaven or hell doctrine, but it's my opinion that based on this, that Satan wants everything for himself. He just cannot stand praise going to God. This is the reason that it says in Psalms chapter 8 that, uh, that praise stills the enemy and the avenger. Jesus quoted that in Matthew chapter 21, and he says, if these were to hold their peace, the rocks would cry out. And he says, haven't you read in the scripture that, you know, praise stills, uh, is strength to still the enemy and the avenger? And the reason that praising God affects the devil so negatively is because it just is rubbing his nose in what his defeat. He wanted the praise that was directed towards God, and when he couldn't get it, it just bothers him. Like I said, he's a total egomaniac. It's all about him. He wants to have all of the attention, and when you start glorifying God, Satan can't handle it. It makes demons flee. You can find examples in the Old Testament that they would bring music and the demons would flee. They cannot stand people praising God because they want all of the attention for themselves. So anyway, I say all of these things to say that pride originated with the devil. And any person who is operating in pride got that from the devil. You know, just as in John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus was talking to these people who were criticizing him, and he says, you're out to kill me. 
And they said, we aren't out to kill you. We loved you. It says that in uh, chapter 8, verse 30, I believe it is, it says they believed on the Lord. They actually believed in Jesus, but it wasn't a saving faith. And to prove it, he finally said unto him in John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning and abode not in the truth. And any time that anybody speaks a lie, they are not speaking on their own. They're speaking uh, under the inspiration of the devil. In the same way that all lies originated with Satan, all pride originated with Satan. And when a person is operating in pride, when you are promoting yourself, glorifying yourself, you will not submit to God and to His wisdom. You're going to do it your way. You and Frank Sinatra, you do it your way. Anytime you do that, and anytime you're a self-made man or woman and you are just promoting yourself, you are uniting yourself with the devil. All lies come from the devil. All pride comes from the devil. Well, those are some strong statements. And I know that this is not popular today. Uh, like I said, we put the people on our magazine covers. They run for office. The people who are our leaders today are people who are just consumed with pride. It has become accepted. But I just want to go through some scriptures and show you what the Word of God has to say about pride. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it's giving the qualifications of an elder. And it says, He cannot be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. This isn't saying that he will just be condemned by the devil, but it's saying that when you get into pride, you come under the judgment that God placed on the devil. Again, God resisting the proud and giving grace to the humble, which is spoken of in James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5, that is not God personally against you, but God has cursed pride. He has put His laws against it. And the moment you get into pride, it is God resisting you. Not personally, but He's just against that pride because it's what started all of the evil in the entire universe. And so it says that if this person is, is a novice, they will get lifted up with pride when they see God flowing through them and miracles happening, and they will go to taking credit. They will think that it's because of their goodness, because of their uh, wisdom and their ability. Oh God, I can see why you chose me. What a wise choice. I am awesome. The moment you do that, you come under this same condemnation that the devil did, the same wrath, the same rejection, the same punishment. You, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so it says not to put people who are novices in positions of authority. Did you know as the older you get and the longer that you've been in the Lord, it's, it's not saying that all old people are humble, because that certainly isn't true, but life does have a way of knocking the arrogance out of you. I mean, you're going to have problems. And you know what? When you're young and you've never had to deal with death, you've never had to deal with failure, you've never had to deal with marital problems and on and on you could go and stuff. All of these things, uh, as you go through life, if you have any openness to the Lord at all and if you're seeking Him over a period of time, you'll recognize that, man, it's the grace of God that you've survived. You know, I could give you right now, I'm not, I've never sat down and just counted, but I can guarantee you there's over a dozen times. There could be 20 or 30 times that I should have been dead. There's no reason why I should be alive, and yet God has saved my bacon. 
And you know what? After things like this happen, you get a different attitude. It's like, man, God's got a purpose for my life. And you get thankful and you recognize that, man, but by the grace of God, I would have been, uh, you know, a human vegetable. I could have been in these terrible situations and, and stuff. And it just gives you a different attitude. When you're a novice, when you're brand new, you think you have the world all figured out. And so he's saying here that you need to put somebody in who is not as susceptible to pride. Now, again, not all old people are humble, but life does have a way of humiliating you and bringing some of that arrogance out of you. And it's saying that we need leaders who have been tested and tried and know that it wasn't their great wisdom that brought them through. It was God and their dependence upon God that made it work. Goes on to say Matthew chapter 16. This is Jesus speaking. And it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show His disciples how that He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. If you were to take this and put it in its context, this is talking about right after Jesus asked His disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they begin to say, Some say that you're this and that. And then He says, But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And God placed a blessing on him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And just minutes after this, Jesus began to talk about how he was going to go to Jerusalem. He would be rejected by the elders and the chief priest. He would be killed and he would rise again on the third day. And it says in verse 22, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Did you know most people would think this was wonderful what Peter did. Peter says, Oh no, God, we aren't going to let this happen to you. We'll defend you. It's never going to happen. You'll never be rejected. You'll never be killed. Most people would think that's good. But you know what that was? That was exalting his own opinion. That was looking at things only from a carnal standpoint, a selfish standpoint. He was totally ignorant of what God's will was. And he was not going to let Jesus talk about being killed and uh, buried. And Jesus turned around and said, Get behind me, Satan. You know why? Because that was exalting self. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus was a man subject to like passions as we are yet without sin. Jesus had a tendency, and it wasn't a sinful tendency, but just to think about that he didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer pain. He didn't want to suffer rejection. He had those things come at him, but that was selfish. He came to die. He was born to die. That was His purpose. He was the Lamb of God and He was sent to bear our sins. And so for Jesus to think about, I'm going to preserve my life. I'm not going to let them take me. You know, there, He demonstrated a number of different times. Like when He was in Nazareth, the very first time He stood up in the synagogue and said, this scripture is all about me. It's been fulfilled in your ears. They took Him out to the brow of the hill and wanted to cast Him down and kill Him. I've been in that exact spot. And I mean, I don't remember how high it is, but it's, uh, if you were to throw a person off that hill, it would have killed them. And yet Jesus just turned around and walked through the midst of them. There's a number of times that He did that. Jesus could have escaped this, but 
That would have been selfish. That would have been pride. That would have been exalting his own personal safety above what God's will for him was. And so when somebody began to play on that and strike a chord in his self about he didn't want to suffer, you can see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, oh God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want that. But you know what? It would have been selfish for him to exalt himself. And man, he recognized this as being demonic. And he turned around to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You know, I'm sure that Peter was hurt and offended over this for the, Jesus to call him Satan. But he was operating in a demonic thing. And this is what I was talking about. All pride comes from the devil. Peter was wanting to exalt Jesus and protect Jesus at all cost. You know, most people have embraced this and think that this is just good. Self-preservation is good. You've got to promote self. You've got to take care of yourself. You can't let other people do this and this and this. And they reason that if I don't promote myself, if I don't take care of myself, who will? You know what that is? That's a humanistic attitude. That might be true if there wasn't a God who said that if you humble yourself, He will exalt you. If there wasn't a God who promised in Ephesians chapter 6 that whatever you do in the sight of God, if you do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, God will reward you and exalt you whether you be bond or free. If there wasn't a God who promised that He would reward you when you do what's right, well, then it may be true that, yes, you have to protect yourself or nobody else will. You have to promote yourself or nobody else will. But since there is a God who has promised that He would promote you and that God weighs all of our actions and He resists the proud, but He uh, gives grace to the humble, since we have a God who has promised those things, for you to promote yourself and have this self-preservation into where you are going to do whatever it takes to make self look good and self come out on top, then that is a lack of dependence upon God. That is a lack of recognizing God as your source and you just think that it's all up to you, that God is indifferent, He's not going to do anything, you have to do it yourself. You know what that is? That's pride. And that is a demonic trait. And I'm telling you, this is the root of everything. I'm going to talk about this more later, but Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. Proverbs 17.14 says, Contention is the beginning of strife. So you put those two things together, and you can say, Only by pride comes strife in your life. Contention, all of these things, it's only because of you just promoting yourself and thinking about yourself and doing whatever it takes for self to come out on top. That's the only reason that strife comes. And I know that may not ring a bell with some of you, and some of you may think, oh, no, that's not true. You don't know what this person did. No, it's not what people do to you. It's what's on the inside of you that makes you react that causes the strife and the contention. I'm going to deal with that more later in this series. But I'm telling you, this is the reason that Jesus was so, uh, I mean, strong with Peter Get behind me, Satan. He recognized that this self-preservation, promotion of self, protection of self was a demonic thing. So right after he said this to Peter, in the very next verse, Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Do you realize that this attitude that Jesus is expressing right here is repulsive to the vast majority of people, even most Christians? Most Christians are out to get all they can and then can all they get and then sit on their can. It's all about taking care of them. It's all about promotion of self. How much can I get and how can I uh, excel above this person and stuff? And this thing about putting God first and denying yourself and taking up your cross. You know what a cross is? A cross is something you die on. In other words, you die to yourself and you put God and other people and the purpose that God has for your life above your own personal comfort. Man, that is rare today, even among ministers. You know, I went to a place one time in Toledo, Ohio. I had been there before and I had a good meeting and so the pastor invited me back. But when I went back the second time, it was strange. He picked me up in this rented car that was just special. And then he took me, my wife, and my two boys, they were young at the time, and he took us to a hotel that was a different hotel than we stayed in before. And he put us in a suite, and he had ice chests there with uh, sodas and all kinds of things, water. He had gifts for the kids. He waited on us just hand and foot. It was way, way, way over the top. And then when we went out to eat during the meetings, he uh, would take us to these places that were very expensive places to eat. And he would say, where do you want to go today? And I remember we were going by McDonald's and my kids said, well, let's go to McDonald's. He said, oh no, I could never take you there. Anyway, he was, he was strange. He was also distant and he wasn't friendly to me the way he had been before. And anyway, towards the end of that week of meetings, this man finally came to me and I apologized. He says, I'm sorry. Uh, for the way I've been treating you this week. He says, we had another minister come in not long before I got there. And he said, this guy criticized me over the fact that I just picked him up in my family car, that I didn't rent a limo for him. He, he checked out of the hotel I put him in and went and got another hotel room and got a suite. He demanded that I give him fruit and drinks and things like this. He said that you couldn't, uh, he would not eat in any place that was less than $25 per person. And this has been 30, 40 years ago. I mean, that would probably be the equivalent of like 40 or $50 per person today. And he just made all of these demands. And this minister, this pastor was so put out that he said, I'll never have another guest minister again. And the only reason that he had me in is because he had already scheduled it. And so I was going to be the last one but he was afraid that I really wanted all of these things. And so he just went overboard. And I told him, I said, look, it's just fine. I don't mind riding in your car. I don't mind eating at McDonald's. I don't mind staying in a hotel that isn't a suite and things like this. But you know what? There are some ministers that just somehow or another have an inflated opinion of themselves and think that they demand all of this. Now, you know what? I enjoy it. I have some of the places I go, people do put me in really nice rooms, and I'm not against that. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. 
but I'm saying to demand it and to think that somehow or another everybody is here to serve you and that they ought to just fall down and worship you when you walk into the room. That's pride. And that doesn't matter if it's in a minister. It doesn't matter who it's in. You know what? The world does not owe you anything. People do not owe you anything. There's a lot of people that go through life with a chip on their shoulder just thinking that everybody owes me something. You know what? You have to earn people's respect. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was writing to Timothy, and Timothy was the head of the church at Ephesus, which some people estimate to be as many as 50,000 to 100,000 people. And Paul told him, he says, Don't let any man despise your youth. Did you know Paul's the one that started that church? He, those people were his converts. He could have written to them and said, Don't despise Timothy. But instead, he told Timothy, Don't let them despise you. And then he says, But be an example in word and conversation and faith and purity. And he lists all of these things. In other words, what he's basically telling Timothy is, Timothy, earn their respect. Don't let people despise you. You have to earn this. And yet there's a lot of people that think, no, everybody has to just automatically give me respect. That's wrong. You have to earn people's respect. And if you go through life with a chip on your shoulder and every time somebody doesn't do something, you get offended and stuff, it's because you're just full of pride. You have not denied yourself. You have not taken up your cross. You are still thinking that you're the center of the universe. And it says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you're losing your life? Do you feel like everything's falling apart? Things aren't going well? Uh, have you ever considered that maybe it's because you've never yielded your life and turned the control over to God and it's because you are out to promote yourself? You're only thinking about yourself. That is a recipe for disaster. To the natural mind, it looks like that if I don't promote myself, if I don't take care of myself, if I don't defend myself, who will? And to the natural mind, it looks like that's a recipe for failure. But it's really just the opposite. When you promote yourself, God will not promote you. Psalms chapter 75, I believe it's verse 6, says promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the south. But it's, Lord, it's the Lord that sets up one and puts down another. God will protect you. God will defend you if you will not do it yourself. Let me turn over and read these verses out of Ephesians chapter 6. And this is uh, Paul speaking, but he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said in verse 3. He says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. You know, today, this isn't talking about just like a servant uh, that works for somebody. This is talking about slaves with their masters. And it says, Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Did you know a self-centered, proudful, arrogant person today would say that anybody who's a slave, you ought to hate your master. You ought to hate the fact that you are somebody's property. Well, I will agree that this is never God's will. And I'm not going to teach on that right now. But Paul is saying that you serve them. Be obedient. Have a good attitude. Did you know people who are just selfish and self-promoting would never do this? They would hate their master every moment of every day. That's contrary to the instructions that Paul was giving. 
And then he says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, don't just do right and obey when they're looking, but you obey all of the time. And do it as unto the Lord and not unto Christ. Did you know most people can't even think this way? When they go to a job, they aren't working for the Lord. They're working for that person. And if the person isn't looking, they'll goof off. If they get a 10-minute break, they'll take 15 minutes, and then they'll go to the restroom after the break so that that extends it to 20 minutes, and they'll get double, and then they'll take things home. They'll never miss this pen. They'll never miss this pencil. They'll never miss these things. And you know what? They're just doing what they can get by with, not realizing that God is looking at every single thing. Whether the boss knows that you came in late and left early or whether you took this or whether you extended your break, whether the boss ever knows that or not, God knows it. And the Lord is saying, do your job heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And then he goes on to say, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. In other words, we should lose our life like this is talking about. We shouldn't be working for people. We shouldn't be just doing things for the praise and the acceptance of people. We ought to give our life to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to serve you whether I ever get credit, recognition from men or not, God will reward you. That's what he's saying. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Whether you're the CEO or whether you're the janitor, the lowest paid position, God is looking at you. And we need to lose our life and not look for our recognition and acceptance from people, but we need to look from God. And if we would do that, that's turning our life over. That's dying to ourselves. That's taking up our cross and saying, God, I'm going to serve you. And if you would do that, you will be blessed by God. You know, I've got an example of the CEO of our ministry, and I'm not going to give his whole testimony because I'd probably mess up some of the details. But the gist of it is that he was coming up with ideas, working for a person, and his boss would take his ideas, present it to his boss, as his idea and get credit for it. And Paul Milligan, the CEO of our ministry, was not getting credit and not getting recognition. Did you know that most people, that would be a justification for them quitting or them being angry or bitter or whatever. But Paul did the exact thing here. He, he lost his life. He was serving the Lord knowing that whatsoever good thing he did, God would eventually reward him. And so for a number of years, Paul knew that this guy was taking credit for his ideas, and yet he says, I'm going to make this man the best supervisor, and I'm just going to do these things. I'm doing it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. And he didn't get bitter, and he didn't fight against him, and he didn't criticize or anything. He just kept doing his job in an excellent way, and his boss was getting all of the credit for years. Did you know a proud person couldn't do that? But eventually, the I don't know exactly what the relationship was, but the guy who was over his boss came to him one day and he says, was this your idea? Was this your idea? And Paul, when he was asked, said, yes, I'm the one that came up with that. 
And he said, well, we thought so. He says, because your boss has been taking credit for all of this, and yet we knew that he wasn't smart enough to do this. And so we got to looking and we figured out it was you. And anyway, they promoted Paul, and Paul became the boss over the man who had been stealing his ideas and all of these things. God promoted him. You know why? Because he didn't promote himself. I'm telling you, this idea that somehow or another, there isn't a God who's going to defend you and God won't bless you and you've got to take care of yourself and you've got to stab somebody in the back and you've got to manipulate and massage the truth and present things in the most favorable light to you and maybe, you know, criticize somebody else. That whole logic, that whole way of thinking is all pride and arrogance. And it's wrong. And God resists the proud. There are some of you that the very reason you haven't been promoted is because you are operating in pride. You are depending upon yourself. You've criticized others. You know, the scripture didn't say you shall not lie in Exodus chapter 20. It says you shall not bear false witness. There's a difference. You could actually take statistics. You could actually say things that are true, but present them without the other things that would have given a different opinion and you have borne false witness. There are people that when you're a salesman, you go out and you say, here's our product and our product is this and this and this. And you may not have said anything that was a lie, but you didn't compare it properly. You compared your best things with the competitor's worst things. And if the whole was taken together, you know what, your product wouldn't have been near as appealing to the people. You bore false witness. And we can do that when we are talking about other people, just presenting one side of the story, not telling the whole thing. And that violates the command in the Ten Commandments of thou shalt not bear false witness. And it's all rooted in pride because you feel like if the truth was known, if everything came out, maybe you wouldn't do as well. And so you have to manipulate. You have to exaggerate. You know what that is? That's pride. And many people wouldn't even think that's pride, but that's exactly what it is. The very fact that you just constantly uh, misrepresent things, exaggerate, it's all pride. You don't feel like that you could win with just nothing but the truth. You don't see God as the one who protects you and promotes you. But just like Jesus said, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross to follow Him. And if you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for His sake, you will find it. Let me share this verse with you out of Exodus chapter 10. In verse 3 it says, And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go... Behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into thy coast. And of course, if you're familiar with uh, when the Lord brought the ten plagues upon Egypt and all of these things, uh, Moses here was saying that it's your pride. You haven't humbled yourself, and that's the reason you're disobeying God. Did you know there's a lot of people that are disobeying God? They know that God says, do things this way, and yet they're doing them this way. And they say, well, I'm not in pride. Well, yeah, you are. Anytime that you exalt yourself, anytime that God says, do this, and you say, oh, I'm going to do my own thing. You know what that is? You may not call it that, but that's pride. And that's exactly what they told Pharaoh. How long until you humble yourself and obey God? Disobedience is pride. 
That's a, that's a strong statement right there. And I know that there's people that you'd say, well, I'm not in pride. I know I'm doing things wrong. I know I'm sinning. I know that I'm shooting up dope. I know that I'm a drunk. I know that I lust. I know I do pornography. I know I do things that God's telling me not to do, but I'm not a proud person. Yes, you are. You are leaning under your own um, understanding. You are doing things your way. You are just out to satisfy yourself. That's pride. Man, those are strong statements. Those are strong statements, but it's absolutely true. Look at this in Job chapter 40, verse 10. This is where God showed up and began to talk to Job. If you aren't familiar with the book of Job, it starts off with two chapters of narration talking about what was going on behind the scenes. And then all of these tragic things happened to Job and Job sits down and for seven days he didn't eat, he didn't talk, and he had three friends. Actually, he had four friends that came and sat with him and for seven days nobody said a word because they saw his grief. Finally, uh, Job began to speak and he just began to spew out all of this hurt and this bitterness and saying, you know, God forbid that I was ever born. You know, when, the, when people came and brought a report and said that your uh, wife has borne you a man-child, I would that I'd have died in the womb, that I'd have never seen the light of day. It had been better for me to never be born. And then he just began to spew out all of this stuff. And three of these four friends that were with him just turned on Job and says, wait a minute, you're bitter and angry at God. It's bound to be some sin in your life that caused all of this. Bad things don't happen to good people. And Job began to defend himself. And the majority of the book of Job are these three friends and Job going back and forth and saying, Job, it's all your fault. It's because you're a terrible sinner. And he says, well, then show me what I've done. He says, I'm living a godly life. It is not because of my sin that this has happened. And they said, well, we don't know what it is. You look great, but there's bound to be some hidden thing because bad things don't happen to good people. And this went back and forth. Finally, uh, Job, it says they ceased to answer him because he was righteous in his own eyes. And he had criticized God and he says, I wish God was here. I wish God, he wouldn't show up in his glory because that would terrify me. I wished he was here in a form of a man and I would tell him what I thought. And Job even said this. He says, there is no benefit to serving God. You don't get treated any better. Bad happens to the godly just the way that it happens to the ungodly. He says there's no benefit to serving God and he just let God have it. Finally, Elihu, the fourth friend, he spoke for about six chapters and he rebuked Job because he had justified himself instead of God. And then God showed up and for about six or eight chapters, God began to speak and God never did explain himself. He never did tell exactly what was happening but here's basically what he did. He began to say, all right, Job, you say that you understand all of this, that you know more than I do, that you're right and I'm wrong. Tell me, where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you when I made this animal? Where were you? Are you the one that makes the, the uh, calves, you know, be born? Are you the one that does this? And I don't have the verse in front of me, but it's right here about Job chapter 40 or 41. He says, Tell me all of these things, O thou that knowest it all. That's the King James way of saying, tell me, Mr. Know-it-all. You got it all figured out. And, and finally, after 
All of these things. Here's a portion of what God said to Job. In Job chapter 40, verse 10, he says, Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath and behold everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. In other words, Job was saying, you know, I'm, I'm more righteous than God. God was saying, all right, if you are so righteous, then act like God. Do these things. And part of what he's saying here, and this is God speaking, abase those that are proud. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low. This is part of what God does. This goes along perfectly with James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5 where it says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And did you know that the results of this was that once Job saw the glory of God in the 42nd chapter of the book of Job, he says, I've spoken about this. I said, this is what I would do. But now that I see you, he says, I abhor myself and I repent in sackcloth and ashes and I put my hand over my mouth and I'm not going to say anything again. He humbled himself. And I guarantee you, if we really were to see the glory of God, every one of us would humble ourselves. You know, I've never with my physical eyes seen God. I've never with my physical eyes seen the glory of God. But I had an experience with the Lord March the 23rd, 1968, and God showed up. I never saw a thing with my eyes, but I knew God was in that place. The presence of the Lord was awesome. And by my faith, I don't know how it happened, but I, I just perceived God. I saw who He was. I saw His glory, His power, His holiness, His purity. And I'm promising you that if you ever get a glimpse of who God really is in a comparative sense, you will lose your arrogance. You will lose your pride. Someday when we stand before God, you'll hear people say things like, man, I'd, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this and I'm going to say you should have done this and people will say all of these things. That's not true. When you get before God and you see His glory and His majesty, you're going to fall on your face and say, Thank God I didn't ask that stupid question. Thank God that I didn't make this gripe or something known. I guarantee you, people that are arrogant do not know God. Or it may be they, it's possible that they got born again, they cried out for salvation, and they may be headed to heaven, but they haven't seen the glory and the power of God, or I guarantee you there would be immediate humility on your part. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and His train filling the temple, and he fell on his face and says, Oh God, depart from me. I'm a wicked man. I dwell in the midst of a wicked people with people of unclean lips. And immediately he began to repent. When Peter saw the resurrected Lord, immediately he grabbed his coat unto him and threw himself in the water and swam there and he humbled himself. Every time that a person saw the glory of God, I immediately, humility is a result of it. People who aren't humble are people that don't know God. Or if they've been born again, they don't really know who it is that's their Savior. Man, those are strong statements, but it's absolutely true. Psalms 138 verse 6 says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. I quoted this when I was talking from James 4, 8, where it says, Draw nigh to God, 
and he will draw nigh to you. You can't get close to God. I'm not talking in distance. I'm talking about in intimacy. You can't get close to God if you're a proud person because the proud he knows afar off, but he has respect unto the lowly. Boy, those are amazing statements right here. A person who is operating in pride is a person who is not going to know God closely. Again, I've referred to this verse before, but Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. He, Jesus was God. God is meek and lowly in heart. And how can two walk together except they be agreed? If you are going to be promoting yourself and always thinking about yourself and, and exalting yourself and putting yourself on the throne and letting God take second place, you aren't going to have an intimate, close relationship. Now, God may love you, but you won't receive it. You won't have the benefit of it. Your pride will hinder you. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the very first one he mentions is a proud look. God hates a proud look. Man, I'm thinking of somebody right now. I'm not going to mention their name, but they were an athlete and man, they posed on the cut. And you talk about a proud look. Man, they were promoting themselves and then they were absolutely humiliated. They got beat so badly that in a post-game conference, all they could do was grunt. They wouldn't even look at anybody. And finally, they got so upset, they just walked off. God hates that proud look, that arrogance. And I guarantee you, a proud look's going to be brought down. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Pride goes before destruction. Did you know that this is just an axiom? It's a truth that cannot be changed. It is a law of the kingdom that if you operate in pride, you are going to be destroyed. And a haughty spirit leads to a fall. Again, I could take this same athlete I was talking about and prior to the game, man, they were just... They are going to annihilate the other team. They are going to do these things. They are awesome, and they were so arrogant. And man, they fell. I know that some people don't like this, but I'm telling you the reason many people have experienced things is because of your own pride, your own self-promotion, your own love affair with yourself. It leads to destruction and a haughty spirit leads to a fall. You know, most people don't want destruction. They don't want to fall, but man, they want pride. They want to promote themselves. They want to be focused on themselves. They want to um, satisfy self. They don't deny self. They indulge self, and they yet they want all of these benefits. And yet the scripture says that a haughty spirit goes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. If you want the goodness of God, you need to get out of pride. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. A man's pride will bring him low. Most people don't want to be low, and yet they want pride. They are opposites. 
If you are going to really be exalted, you have to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. If you exalt yourself, if you go to the highest seat and you want all of this recognition, it's going to cause you to be humbled, to be humiliated. But if you would humble yourself, then God will exalt you and lift you up. You know, there's a lot of people that want the acclaim of people. You want recognition. You want to be the top salesman. You want to be respected by your peers. You want all of these things. But God will promote you if you'll humble yourself. If you promote yourself, it's going to lead to destruction. You know, I can relate this to the ministry. I have a hard time doing this because it might take longer to explain this than I want to, what I want to give it. But there's ways that I could sit there and promote this ministry and promote myself and make people uh, support us and do things. And there's things that I could do to manipulate people. But you know what? I've just chosen to look to God. Now, I do tell people that we have this need and stuff, but I don't badger people. I don't beg people. I don't present myself as pitiful. I don't ever say, if you don't give, I'm going to have to go off television or radio and stuff like this. I have depended upon God. I hadn't done it perfectly, but that's my goal and that's what I'm seeking to do. And I can tell you that God is promoting me. God is blessing me. You know, just this last week, I met with two men that they have hundreds of thousands of people come to their meetings. Here I am with 1,000 or 2,000 people coming to my meetings. And God is just connecting me with people. I met a man yesterday who is just a mover and a shaker. And it's amazing. God is promoting us. And I haven't promoted myself. God is the one that's promoting me. God has given me these connections. God has brought people that are, I mean, world famous and brought them to Karis Bible College. And I'm not going out. I couldn't have hired these people. First of all, I'm not smart enough. Secondly, I don't have enough money to pay these people. I couldn't ever have got all of the people that God has put around me. I couldn't have done this. God is doing it. God is promoting. Because you know what? I have humbled myself before the Lord. Again, I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but I'm saying that that's my desire and God is promoting and blessing me. A man's pride brings him low. The opposite of this is that when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He exalts you. Most people want to be exalted, but they're going to do it themselves and not depend upon God. That leads to you being brought low. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 11, it says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Man, that's amazing. Did you know in this life, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And I believe that in the vast majority of cases, those who exalt themselves get humbled in this life. But... If it never happened in this life, say for instance, if you were just an absolute dictator and nobody had any recourse against you and stuff, and if somehow or another you managed to live your life for yourself this entire life, there is coming a day that we're going to stand before God. And I guarantee you all of that haughtiness, all of that pride, all of that promotion of self is going to be put in its proper place. Even if you're a Christian, we are going to be humbled standing before the Lord. And so it is going to happen. 
It'll happen, the vast majority of cases, it'll happen in this life. But if not in this life, it's going to happen when we all stand before the Lord. And the next verse, Isaiah 2, 12 says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. This day of the Lord is talking about the judgment day. It'll probably happen just through life. But if it doesn't happen in this life, in the next life, when we stand before the Lord, I guarantee you all of our proud looks and uh, loftiness is going to be brought down. Everyone that is lifted up shall be brought low. Do you want that to happen to you? Man, if you don't want it to happen to you, then humble yourself now and submit yourself to God. And then someday you'll shine like the sun when you stand before God because you humbled yourself and exalted Him. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 17, it says, The loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. This is still talking about judgment day, that it's going to happen. If not in this life, it will happen someday. We need to humble ourselves now. We need to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow the Lord. Look at this in Ezekiel 16, 49. It says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Of course, Sodom and Gomorrah is where God rained fire and brimstone down and just literally wiped out entire cities. And Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. This is a commentary on that. And it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, Abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Talking about homosexuality as well as, I'm sure there was many other things, but that was the dominant sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, therefore I took them away as I saw good. So homosexuality is a sin. It's an abomination. But this is saying that the root of that sin was pride. Did you know that the root of homosexuality is pride based on these verses? Somebody said, oh, no, that's just the way I was made. See right there, you have a, a accepted a lie. God's Word says that He made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And He says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, not cleave to his boyfriend, but cleave to his wife. God's Word, and I could just use Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, shows you that homosexuality is an abomination. So here's God's standard. Here's what God's Word says. But here's what our culture is saying today. And you have exalted your own opinion. You've exalted the Word of men above the Word of God. And you know what that is? That is pride. I'm going to be showing this as we go through this, that pride at its core is just independence from God. You doing your own thing instead of humbling yourself and submitting to God. That's pride. And Sodom's sin was pride and idleness and fullness of bread. Man, those are some strong, strong statements. And this goes against our culture and this goes against us being dependent upon ourselves. 